Hey guys, welcome back to Quick Take. I'm your host, John Sherrod, and this is my second foray into podcasting using Anchor, which is a really cool new platform for podcasting. Um, It's a really interesting service where basically it takes most of the work out of podcasting. You don't have to learn how to use um, any kind of complicated sound editing software. You don't have to buy uh, expensive equipment, Microsoft, uh, like microphones and Microsoft microphones and, uh, you know, interface devices and things like that. You don't have to, uh, worry about editing. Um, you basically just hold the phone up, hold your iPhone up to your head and press the record button and talk into it as if you're talking to someone on the phone. And, um, you know, we'll see how this goes, but I think it's such an intriguing concept. And if it catches on, could really, Uh, be the thing that brings podcasting to the masses. So I'm interested in in kind of seeing where it goes. Um, You know, I did an episode uh, last week. Was it last week or the week before? But anyway, recently, and just to kind of uh, test it out, test out Anchor the app, kind of see how it went. Um, I went ahead and uh, published that first episode and kind of turned on the feature where Anchor kind of auto-publishes your content into Apple Podcast, Overcast, various other things, um, ran into some snags. Um, you know, the anchor, um, website says that it should take up to 48 hours for the podcast to, to propagate out into those various services. And in my case, it took several days and I eventually sent them a a little support request. I'm thinking they were probably overwhelmed, honestly, because, um, although it wasn't like it was the first day that anchor launched, it had just gotten some, some kind of big press, nine to five Mac and some other places, uh, had, had, had some pieces out about it. So I'm, I'm guessing they were just overwhelmed, but they did uh, respond to my support case and and help me get those things published. And it might've also been a complication that this podcast was already hosted in Apple podcasts from the previous, uh, hosting I was doing over at SoundCloud, but at any rate it's up and now you can go to iTunes and subscribe. You can also go and download the Anchor app uh, from the App Store, and you can listen uh, to it that way. Yeah, Anchor is is also, you know, a podcast proprietor as well as a place where you can create podcasts. Um, if you ever have a question or there's something that you want me to discuss on this show, you can actually download the Anchor app for free. Even if you're not planning to use it for podcasting, you can download the Anchor app uh, from the App Store, and you can actually send me a voicemail with a question, and I can include that question voicemail uh, in a future episode. So that could be a really cool way for you to get a question in that you'd like to hear me discuss. Um, and again, quick take, this is, this is short form podcasting, which definitely goes against the grain of traditional podcasting. So we'll see whether that catches on or not. But, uh, you know, this is just a show where I go and just talk about, uh, whatever topic, uh, related to the world of Apple and Apple's products that is either, you know, uh, of some news relevance or just something I'm interested in. And this week I really wanted to circle back and talk about the MacBook Pro's touch bar. Uh, you know, this was something that uh, debuted in October, 2016. It's funny, right, uh, right before I did my first ever recording of quick take was when Apple made this announcement. And it was, it was, uh, I believe the very first thing I discussed in that first episode, but, uh, you know, that was October, 2016. So we're about, you know, a year and a half into this thing. And I just thought, you know, let's kind of circle back and talk about it. You know, was this a good move on Apple's part uh, or was it a bad move? You know, if you just to kind of put things into context, and I think that's important because I think the context of when the touch bar announced has really uh, had a drastic effect on how it's been perceived. Um, If you think back to the fall of 2016, we were in this this, uh, period as a Mac community of Mac fans 
um, where, where a lot of people were starting to question, does Apple still have a commitment to the Mac? You know, we know that the iPhone is their number one product by far. You know, it used to be that, that the Mac was what Apple did. That was all they did. Um, but as things have changed over the years, the Mac is just a small part, an important part. And still, if it was spun off, it would be a, you know, a large company by itself. But relative to uh, you know, the entire Apple revenue stream, compared to the iPhone, it's, it's small potatoes. So you know, I think a lot of Mac users were getting antsy that, well, you know, is this something that is the Mac something that Apple still has an interest in? And a lot of the fears, you know, not only were Apple fans able to look at the revenue pie chart and see, wait a second, the Mac is only a small fraction of, you know, Apple's overall revenue stream. But it had been a long time since Apple had done any improvements to really any aspect of the Mac line, except for the iMac. The iMac had had some updates. We'd gotten the 5K and we'd seen some updates to the MacBook, the little really consumer focused 12-inch portable laptop, but we really hadn't seen, we hadn't seen any update at that point, I want to say in three years, to the Mac Pro, Apple's top-of-the-line uh, desktop tower for high-end users, and it had been a couple of years since we'd seen any updates to the MacBook Pro as well, and so that was starting to get some people antsy. Now, you know, the, the, main, the mainstream consumer out there, probably this wasn't even on their radar, but so we're really talking about the, 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 you know, the Apple enthusiasts who were just the most dialed into Apple news. And we're talking about not only the longtime Mac faithful in general, but in particular, um, the creative professionals, people that are in uh, programming, um, you know, video and audio editing, uh, those kind of industries, um, you know, that rely on the Mac to do their work um, and, you know, use it to, to create products. Um, that community was was in particular really kind of nervous about the direction things were going or or at that point it seemed like it was not going. And so finally in October 2016, Apple introduced the the new MacBook Pro with Touch Bar, which was the first substantial update in a couple of years. And, and it was the first time since 2012 that the MacBook Pro had gotten um, sort of a big redesign. And so the, the, 20, the late 2016 MacBook Pro introduced a thinner, lighter profile. Uh, it introduced uh, USB Type-C ports uh, to the MacBook Pro line and replaced all the other ports with USB Type-C, except for the headphone jack. That still remained. And it introduced the touch bar. And I think this was something, um, when, you, when you hear some of the, the stories of kind of how the touch bar came to be, it sounds like this was something that had been in the works for quite a while and that Apple was quite proud of. And um, if you're unfamiliar, the touch bar... Um, is the replacement for the strip of function keys at the top of the keyboard on the MacBook Pro's keyboard. You know, where traditionally, um, you know, maybe programmers would use the function keys for specific things in their applications, but, but most of us use the function keys for the, the, uh, the controls for, um, uh, for, you know, adjusting sound, up, down, mute, um, brightness controls, things like uh, expose and dashboard over the years. Some of these, these keys have changed. Apple's kind of tweaked them, changed the location, but these, those were kind of the basic functions of what most of us have used those function keys for, for a long time. Um, and there was nothing wrong with the function row at all. And in fact, it was, you know, particularly the people that rely on escape keys, like programmers, uh, certainly relied on the, that row of keys as it was. Um, but, 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 um, you know, the downside to, um, probably for the, the bigger Mac community was that, um, you know, once you, once you made that keyboard, th those functions were set and you really couldn't change them because even if you, you know, programmatically through software change them, uh, you can't change the labels that are on those keys. So they're kind of fixed 
until you come out with a new MacBook Pro with a different keyboard and change maybe what the functions of those are. So instead, uh, the touch bar is, uh, is, is basically a little display. It's a strip, the, the same width and height as the, essentially as the previous row of function keys, um, but it's a, a digital touch interface. Um, and we're not really going to get into the whole topic of should Apple have a touchscreen Mac at this point, but, uh, you know, the Mac has never had a touchscreen. And this was a way, in addition to the trackpad, of bringing more touch gestures and more touch interactive elements to the Mac. So now you have a, a touch row, the touch bar, um, where the functions change based on the context. So if you're in uh, Microsoft Word or Apple's Pages, you're going to get... Um, you know, controls in the touch bar for uh, adjusting the color of text, adjusting, uh, you know, things like bold, italics, underline, and you've got, you know, uh, you know, different things for, you know, left, center, right, justify. So those kind of controls in a text editor you're going to get. Whereas um, if you're in um, an Adobe product like Photoshop, you're going to get some, some touch sensitive controls and sliders for working with, um, you know, some of the tools built into that app. And you also always have um, a little uh, button you can tap that will ex expand out what's called the control strip. And as a longtime Mac user, I love that they reuse that name. In, in the classic Mac OS, the control strip um, was a little button you could click that it would extend across the bottom of the desktop, or you could move it um, with some, some basic controls uh, that were always the same, and you could even uh, update them. You know, different apps could add some different things down to the control strip as well. But for the touch bar, the control strip is where you can pull out and do things like adjust your brightness and volume and things like that. And it's always kind of a consistent set of tools that you can expand and pull out. Um, it's also got, you know, the touch bar also has the button for Siri. And uh, quite handily, it also has uh, an actual physical key um, that is the power key that it also has a touch ID sensor built into it. So just like the iPhone has had touch ID for a very long time. Now the Mac has Touch ID and you can unlock your Mac with your fingerprint just like you can unlock your iPhone with your fingerprint. Uh, so that's the touch bar. And it's basically, you know, under the surface, it's a pretty cool bit of technology because it basically uses uh, essentially a variant of the chip that's in the Apple Watch to power the touch bar and to also provide the secure enclave so that, you know, it can store your fingerprint safely and, and make it so that, you know, transactions you do through the web browser when it comes to like buying things online or secure and that sort of thing. So it provides that level of security uh, to the touch ID sensor. So that's what the touch bar is. And I think Apple was really proud of it. And honestly, I think they should be, but I don't think they were prepared for some of the backlash that came from it. And again, I, I took a, the time to talk about the context of when the touch bar was introduced um, and, and the fact that there was already kind of some unrest building, because I think that uh, is a key to why in some sectors of the Mac enthusiast community, the touch bar was not well received. I think uh, particularly in the, uh, the high-end creative market, a lot of people were, uh, you know, maybe disappointed that Apple didn't create something in the MacBook Pro line that was more robust and more specifically pro-focused. Um, you know, the MacBook Pro, that word Pro and MacBook Pro um, doesn't necessarily mean what it, what maybe a lot of longtime Mac users think it should mean. It really just means this is the top of the line Apple laptop. It doesn't necessarily mean this is a laptop that's created specifically for high-end Pro users because that's just not the case. It's, it's Apple's bread and butter laptop. Um, and uh, it, it's certainly the, the most powerful one they make. 
but you know it's it, what what a lot of people wanted to see Apple do, and this is something that I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me if Apple did, but that Apple has not shown any interest in doing lately is a lot of those high end pro creatives wanted to see Apple create a laptop that was uh, maybe not so focused on thinness. It was maybe larger to support a bigger battery, and uh, you know more uh, you know uh, components like uh, high end RAM and processors that maybe had. Uh, the kind of thermal limitations that wouldn't allow for a super thin design, that sort of thing. Um, and instead, um, what Apple delivered was a very nice high-end laptop that still emphasized thinness and lightness at the expense of going in the direction of adding some of those uh, more powerful components. And they introduced a touch bar. And I think for some of those creative pros, the touch bar struck people as as Apple being a little out of touch um, with what the market was looking for. And, and again, the market through the lens of the high-end creative professional. So uh, I think that's different than your, you know, your average MacBook Pro buyer, even though it's definitely an important component of that market. Um, so I think you know, the fact that it had been so long since we'd seen any updates, and then the update that we got um, still didn't meet the needs of, uh, or the desires of those high-end creative professionals. And you might think, well, okay, this is a small slice of the market. Why does it matter so much? Well, and I think the reason why it matters is because some of those people have influential voices within the Mac enthusiast community. Um, and so when they are vocal about, um, some of their dissatisfaction, it gets more attention than perhaps it would. And these are also, some of these people are people that, um, that even people that Apple look up to. Um, and so they have, you know, an amplified platform in the sense that they do reach the ears of people that work at Apple. Uh, so I think honestly, that's been a lot of the reason for a lot of the backlash, um, is, um, is, you know, a lot of it is just seated in, uh, it wasn't what some, uh, you know, some very vocal, uh, Apple customers were looking for. Um, but we've had it now for, again, about a year and a half. And I just thought it was interesting to kind of take the time to reflect back on it. Um, I like the touch bar. I don't think it's, um, revolutionary. I don't think it's as revolutionary as, as Apple was kind of selling it when they introduced it. And I don't think it's as revolutionary, honestly, as what they were hoping for. Again, I think they really believed in this, this, uh, addition to the MacBook Pro, um, so much that that's why they took all that time on stage to talk about it and show off demos of it and that sort of thing. Um, but that's also sort of a different question. You know, um, it's not as maybe as exciting as Apple tried to sell it, but I do think it's a good addition to the MacBook Pro. Now, this is just me talking personally. I'm not a creative professional. Uh, so I think that their feedback and response is absolutely valid. Um, but it, it just hits me a little different cause I'm a different user, um, than that. But, um, I think touch ID is a great addition to the Mac. Now it, it may be that it may be that in the next year or two, we see face ID come to the Mac. And of course that would, you know, obviate that we wouldn't need touch ID in that sense. But uh, I think touch ID is a fantastic thing. And I know a lot of users who I've talked to really enjoy it because, you know, we all type in passwords, you know, a ton in our daily lives. And, you know, to have a one way of securely bypassing that is, is definitely a nice option. Um, of course, you can also, if you have an Apple Watch, you can use your Apple Watch to unlock it as well. But not all MacBook Pro customers have an Apple Watch. So having Touch ID is a nice thing. Um, I personally love the control strip. Um, 
your mileage may vary. I'm sure a lot of people may prefer the, the you know, the fixed key function from the old uh, MacBook Pro keyboard, but I really love the control strip and being able to use those sliders for volume and um, brightness in particular. I just find that's a really kind of nice, it just feels nice to use it. Um, those are really, though, honestly, the main things that I use the touch bar for. Sometimes I'll use the little emoji picker, which is a fun way, although not a super efficient way necessarily, unless you're just using your top, you know, 10 most used emojis. If you need to go hunt for one, it's it's not necessarily any more convenient than using an on-screen version, but kind of a fun way to do it. But truth be told, I honestly don't use any of the um, sort of app-specific um configurations of the touch bar. So when I'm in a word processor, I really never think to look down and use any of the app specific, um, touch bar buttons that come up. And I think a lot of that for me is just habit. Um, in a lot of ways, um, I still use a Mac the same way that I did in, in Mac OS nine. Um, a lot of times I've, when Apple has introduced new, um, things to the, the, the Mac OS 10 interface, it, it's taken me a long time to adopt them, or sometimes I don't adopt them. Like, honestly, the full screen mode, I still don't use all that often. I only use in a couple of specific contexts um, because it's just not the way that that I learned to use a Mac, and I'm still kind of stuck in my ways. So I think that's part of the issue with the touch bar for me is that, you know, I'm just, my, you know, my brain is just kind of trained to use a Mac a certain way. I don't think I've really, except for maybe a couple of times experimenting, I've really never done any of the customizations you can do of changing out some of the buttons in the touch bar manually. Um, and, and I honestly haven't even really sat down to, you know, even to just to kind of see how much third-party support there is built into it. Microsoft Office supports it and the Adobe Creative products do. But, but again, whether you use it or not, it's probably just going to come down to how you use the Mac. And if you're kind of like me and you're I don't want to say stuck in your ways, but if you're kind of used, if your brain is kind of programmed to using a Mac a certain way, it might be hard to break out of that and to get in there and use it. So again, my bottom line for me with the touch bar is, um, I think it's, I think it's great, even though I don't use it for everything it can do. I like the things that it does that I do use it for on a regular basis. I know that, uh, again, there are those in the Apple community that, that aren't happy with it. Um, but I kind of wonder, you know, Apple has, Apple certainly hears that, but they also have their internal metrics where they have a, a better sense of what the broad spectrum of consumers buying MacBook Pros think about it. And so um, they might be able to look and see that it's not very popular, or they might find that it really is popular. And, and at the end of the day, you know, we don't know that necessarily from the outside. Um, and my gut tells me that most of the, the belly aching about it comes from an amplified minority of Mac users. Um, whose point is still valid, don't get me wrong, but, but that don't necessarily represent um, the, the greater Apple using community out there. So we'll see. Um, Apple has yet to expand it to any other of their lines. It's still only available on the 13-inch and the 15-inch MacBook Pro. Uh, for example, we haven't seen an update to the MacBook or the MacBook Air that has it, and I don't know that we would see it on the MacBook Air because that in particular is a lower-end, lower-cost Mac. Uh, but we haven't seen it expand. We didn't see it expand to desktop. Now, of course, that might be a more challenging proposition since you're dealing with, you know, uh, a Bluetooth keyboard that's not directly connected to the Mac. But, you know, we did see that, um, you know, the iMac Pro come out at the end of 2017, and it did not um, have a keyboard with a touch bar. That was something that a lot of people wondered if that would happen, and it, it did not come to fruition. 
Uh, so we're just going to have to see if the Touch Bar is a MacBook Pro only thing or if it expands to any other computers or is it something that Apple revisits and says, you know what, this isn't catching on and people don't like it as much as we thought maybe they would. So we're going to have to wait and see. I think, uh, you know, we've already seen one revision to the MacBook Pro, which was encouraging, I think, because given that it had been, again, a couple of years before the 2016 MacBook Pros came out, it was encouraging to see Apple have a speed bump release last year. Um, so we'll see if that continues this year and if there are any changes uh, or any additions to, you know, Apple computers that have the touch bar. For example, when the actual Mac Pro Tower comes out, which Apple said should come out sometime in 2018, Will it have a keyboard with a touch bar? I kind of doubt it, but we'll just kind of have to wait and see. Well, that's it for this week. Um, if you have a question for me, again, go to the App Store and download the Anchor app, and you can leave me a voicemail with a question. Or you can find me on Twitter, at J W S H E R R O D, and we'll see you next time.